Hello, everybody. I'm excited. I'm excited. Tell us about another big episode of Push the Show. The biggest we've ever had. Guaranteed. Episode 55. Will not disappoint. This is Mike. Mike and Skippy with the with the biggest gaming news. Mike and Skip with the scoop. That's what you tuned in for. That's what we got. Yeah. I don't know. I guess Scoop we've got pretty thin games. this week. So. I don't know. We've got some. We've got some news, and and yeah, we do. Let's just jump right into it because I don't feel like doing pleasantries or anything. You know, let's let's Boom. just here you have it. The no bullshit, no pleasantry cast. That's right. Coming right at you. <laughs> have you done By anything way, interesting since this, we last? Hold up. First, we got to commemorate the occasion. This is the first official. Push your shout, Turk cast, coming at you with all the the social capital of the Turkey Week, Turkey Day. Oh, Merry, Merry Turkey Day, everybody! I had the country of Turkey in my head. I was trying to figure that one out. I was thinking politics of actual keys. Yeah, I forgot that uh, this was going to be our our podcast before before Thanksgiving. Do you have any plans? You know what? Okay, I do have plans. I mean, I'm going up to uh, to my family's house. I, I mean, for a while, I've been between states and college and family in different places. So I've always had to like fly back for Thanksgiving. This is the first Thanksgiving in a while where I'm actually just going to get to take a short drive up to my relative's place and just yeah. chill out. And it feels so good. So I'm excited about that. On Thanksgiving in general, Thanksgiving, I already went to went to to a row into a row with someone Uh-oh. in the chat before this. Uh, Thanksgiving is the best holiday, and I'll fight anybody. We have some Irishman in the chat complaining you know about American holidays. Some, some bullshit foreigner who doesn't understand what the fuck they're talking I'm about. I'm sorry, because you let don't me have enough you. culture uh, to come up with your you own no holidays. Culture. You got, I mean, what do you got? You got a leprechaun? Huh? That's Saint, not Saint a holiday. Patrick's Day? That's leprechauns, more of an American thing, really. Spoilers. Honestly. Spoilers. Leprechauns aren't a holiday. Thanksgiving is a holiday. Thanksgiving has turkey. It's got stuffing. And most importantly, it's got gravy. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of all time. It's, it's got, everybody gets together. More people in my family get together on Thanksgiving than on Christmas. It is the, like, event that unites the family unit. It's the it's, best. It's got Kirtuckins. You ever had a Kirtuckin? I haven't it's had a Kirtuckin. It's a, it's a chicken, a turkey, and a Kurt. What's the other one? <laughs> I don't know, a duck. That's it. Is it Kurtuckin or Kurtuckin? Kurtuckin. I can't remember. Well, but it's it's a combination of three birds, and you put them all inside each other and cook that it. That sounds like an insidious Thanksgiving hot dog. I've never had one. And I'm not I, interested in that. I don't want any part but of that. But turkey. Turkey is the truth. And that is the official... Stance of the Push to Shout team, Push to Shout LLC, officially endorses Thanksgiving as its favorite holiday. Yeah, uh, I actually it is my favorite holiday. I like it more than Christmas. And everyone says, well, you know, Christmas has everything that that Thanksgiving has plus presents and stuff. But there's something about Thanksgiving. Maybe just the fact that it comes before Christmas. It's it's better. It's just it comes better. it comes at such a good time. It does. It's starting to get cold. The leaves like, are falling. Yeah. It's crisp outside. 
and everyone's crisp. ready to everyone's crisp ready is a nice to, word. Yeah, it's brisk. It's been getting brisk outside. Yeah. Really. Brisk is a little colder than crisp. Well, crisp, here, okay, maybe in Christmas Alabama, is the fresh air is right, the cool. Let's fresh be air. accurate about this. Let's be scientific. Maybe in Alabama, it's crisp, but in Maryland, it's brisk. Yeah, true. Because in Alabama, like, I mean, it was like in the sixties today. So, oh, it was like thirty or so. Yeah. So we have. It was even, nasty, nasty cold. We haven't gotten our brisks on yet. Uh, so this is a podcast about video games. Have you been yes, playing any video games lately? I have. Okay, so I'm going to start with Smash. Uh, I talk about Smash a lot. I anticipate a lot of you don't care about it. But I don't care about that. I'm just going to talk about it. Because I think, I think I'm kind of reaching one of those points in life that I anticipate exists. Where <laughs> you just don't have that much time. Oh, no. And And you just... If you're gonna play video games, you focus on one or two. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's that's Smash for me right now. I went to another local this time for Melee, and I'm just gonna talk about it. There's one guy, his name's Michonne. That's his handle, and he's really good. He's a really good fox. And what race first, is he? He is white. Okay. I feel like everyone who plays Smash like that. You can divide them by their races into how they play. <laughs> Like, the black people play a certain way, and the Asians play a certain way, and the white people play a certain way. That's what I learned from the documentary that I watched on Smash. Oh. Well, <laughs> or maybe that's how the it same was documentary. The I didn't get that, but... We've got racism here on Push to Shell. We don't care. We'll this is the official racist cast. Um, We're edgy. Yeah, we are. That's how we get so, the, the listens. So last time... It's a monthly melee tournament, and there's tournaments every week. But uh, like, there's Project M, and that I won, and then Smash Four, and the melee. Melee. Um, this guy shows up. The first tournament in October, he just beat my ass. I only took one game, and just for the uninitiated, there are sets, and each set either takes place. Of, it's best of three or best of five is a set, and um, I didn't win a single set last time i got destroyed you got I only won, i won one game and that's only because he went to one of his secondaries captain falcon and just fucked around and i managed to like barely squeeze out a win this time i switched to fox i was really grinding out tech skill trying to figure out exactly how the game works i'm i didn't win i still got second but i managed to take a whole set two games in a row i just beat his ass and it felt really good. So like what, it's a it's a clear improvement from last time to this time. Last time it was a, a fluke win. This time it was a consistent set. I won the set. What's your character? Great. Is it Fox? So I Is used to play a lot of Fox? Marth. I used to play a lot of Marth, but I I realized I was kind of using Marth as a crutch. Marth, you have a lot of freedom to kind of move around and and grab people. And you don't need to know too much tech. So, but if you're facing somebody who's better than you and who knows how to get around your spacing and things like that, you're you're basically fucked. Like this guy was just shining me. He was I was like a hockey puck. He would just shine me, and I would slide, and I couldn't do anything. And he would combo me into these ridiculous situations. This time, I put up a good fight. I won a set. I knocked him into losers. Grand Finals, he beat me two sets in a row, but well. I still managed to take a couple games. So within like a short period of time, this guy who was phenomenally better than me, I'm now like I'm getting on par with. 
Yeah. And that's, that's, it's, it's a, good a really good feeling. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that's why, that's why I like racing. That's why I like CSGO. That's why I like Rocket League because you can feel yourself getting better and, and it's so satisfying. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunately kind of rare in video games. That, you know, yeah, that's the thing. Like, because people who don't play Smash obviously don't care as much <laughs> about the minute incremental improvements I'm making, but each one of them just feels so good. Yeah. I'm starting to approach the game in a different way, which is kind of interesting. I read a couple of old Smash boards post about this same topic, and it's is one of them is really really long. But it explains the difference between what it calls an improvement mentality and a scrub mentality. <laughs> and obviously a scrub, a scrub mentality can mean a lot of things. But what the basic point of it was, and this totally rings true for me, is at some point improving at the game and optimizing your play, minimizing mistakes, making the right choice, and just executing the tech perfectly and knowing what to do, that becomes more fun than just, quote, playing for fun, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. That the improvement itself becomes satisfying in a way that winning any one match just isn't. Yeah. And it's it's been really cool. I I feel like I'm getting a, a hand... I feel like my head is in the right spot to just go to a tournament every week or so, have fun, learn new things. It's great. I'm really are, enjoying are they, it. Are the tournaments that often? Is it like a is it like a Baltimore area thing? Like Yeah. How do how do these things get organized? Who's doing them? So right now it's um it's at my university. And there's a pretty active scene in my university. Um I'm the best uh Project M player. There's a better melee player than me and I'm the second best Smash Four player. Okay. So I've been trying to diverse diversify what are these like? What like? Tell me about like the atmosphere of these places. Like, how many people are they're there? Pre- like, okay, do so people get into it. In like- some ways, in some ways, they're pretty what you would expect. Pretty terrible. That <laughs> you have people who have watched the Smash documentary and mm-hmm. they they feel like they're intimate friends with all these top players, and they talk about what was just in the documentary like it's gospel truth. Posers. They can't do any. Well, it's to some extent, yeah, like. They'll they'll watch one video and then just say, oh, you know, Falco can totally lock down Marth with lasers on FD and not really know what that means or how to do it. It's been nice to play with this one guy who beat me in Melee because I, I, don't, I don't enjoy making excuses for losing. I recognize I'm a total scrub yeah. and I just want to get better. And so it's for the really good players there it really is nice to play with them because you just learn new things all the time and just subtle optimizations you can make. Like the guy who beat me at the Melee local this weekend, he taught me how to do a shine directly into an up smash as Fox, which I didn't know was possible. But if you like jump out of it using your left stick and then C stick up at the same time, you can just do a boom, I don't know how to describe it to people who don't play smash, (laughs) but it's, it's, it really speeds things up, and you just you know some people know things that you don't know, and it's really really fun. I don't mind losing at all. Yeah. When I played CS CS:GO was probably the last game that I played quote unquote seriously, and then I had a total scrub mentality. I hated oh, really? lose. I hated losing. 
I blame my team and all. Yeah. To some extent, that's true because it is a team game, and I was playing with pretty bad sure. people. Sure, it's easier. But, it's easier to yeah. not blame yourself in a team-based thing. I have decided to. I've totally washed my hands of being a scrub. I'll be bad. I am bad, but I'm not a scrub anymore. Yeah. And that's what I can report. And it's all relative. It sounds like you're crushing most people there, at least. Uh, well, y- you know, at my university, not yeah. at uh, a regional. But I, I'm probably going to go to um, the the regional that's super popular in my area is called um, Smash at Xanadu. I'll probably go there sometime in the next couple months. You can so, meet yeah. up with all of our listeners there. I can. All all of our listeners are <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to the what do you call it thing. Hook, hook yeah, us up. Smash at Xanadu. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's Smash. That's neat. I I I that's really cool. I wish I had real life people to play video games with because i just don't the only know people yeah, i know is, who play video that games. is one of the most refreshing things about it like yeah. actually sitting next to somebody and playing yeah. video games it's cool. like the only people in real life i know who play video games are playing stuff like destiny and call of duty and it's like yeah. i yeah so that's 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 nice that must be that must be fun i wish really i wish just... i had that <laughs> um all right anything else um not on smash i mean just in the rest of things on the on the same topic as just not having all that much time or not feeling like I have all that much time. Mm-hmm. I decided I'm just gonna play Witcher Three. That at this point, yay, yeah. Like at this point, I don't know. Even like a couple months ago, I would have said, "Oh, I I want to play it in order and I want to finish Witcher 2. But now I'm just feeling like if I don't get to Witcher Three now, I I'm not confident that I'll remember <laughs> to go back to it and. I just don't have the time to yeah. to play every game. And like while playing play. Witcher Two, I I've played a little bit more of Witcher Two, and I've kind of it, it, Witcher Three is such a such an improvement in general. Uh, it's it's just more fun, and I could see you getting bogged down with Witcher Two to the point where it's like, well, you know, I don't want to play Witcher Three until I finish it, but I don't really want to finish it, and so I I don't blame you at all, and I I. I started Witcher Three without any knowledge of Witcher One or Two, the stories or, or the world or anything, and, and I was fine. So, you know, it's I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, I feel like I I I have enough at this point that I can I can just play Witcher Three. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm I, I hope you like it. <laughs> I, I probably will because <laughs> I re- hyped it up. I too really much. liked. I I don't think so. I really loved what I played of Witcher Two, and if I thought that I would be able to get to all of it, then I would finish that completely and then play witcher 3 but what about as someone in the chat asks the bloodborne dlc is coming out tomorrow tomorrow yes okay <laughs> you weren't ready. i didn't know that yeah. <laughs> i'm really excited now yeah it looks really good i've seen some footage of it i've seen like about an hour of it it's it's neat like the the area is i won't like spoil it but the area is based on a lot of the areas from bloodborne but they've been changed you're like in a dream world kind of thing and so that's cool it's really neat because you're like going through the same areas but they're not at all the same uh it's not like they're reusing the level it's just that you can recognize like oh okay this is that part you know like that's it, really cool. it's it's neat uh it made me really want to play bloodborne but i don't have a ps4 uh i told uh, someone on twitter i said i i'll get bloodborne when it comes out on pc and and you know also i'll pick up red dead redemption 2 on pc when while i'm at it um <laughs> I'm looking forward to, I guess, Dark Souls 3. I don't know. I need to, I need to 
I wish. Eventually, I, I, I don't want to buy a PS4 just to finish Bloodborne. But eventually, a PS4 will be worth it. Yeah. It was yeah. true of PS3. It seems true of PS4. Sony is getting the best exclusives lately. You'll, have, um, un- you'll have Uncharted 4. You'll have Bloodborne. You'll have the best version of Final Fantasy 15. You'll have everything that's... Uh, every console exclusive is better on PS4. See, my plan is to bring Mace to Target on Black Friday, and then I'll Mace the people there and grab a uh, grab a PS4 while it's on sale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is there anything else? Um, not video game wise. I I did finish BoJack Horseman, and we talked about this. That I mm-hmm. uh, I I jumped to the conclusion pretty quickly that it was the best thing of the year, and you know, in my usual As exaggeration, but I'm I'm getting better at it. <laughs> but having watched both seasons completely now. I will say it still is one of the most interesting things I've seen this year. Um, yeah. I I wound up reading up on the creator of the show and a lot of what he had to say, and it made certain things clear that he approaches it as first like a character show and second as a comedy, and it, it shows. Yeah. It, it, it The story goes places. It gets very, very dark. Especially I, um, in the second season. Did I tell you I watched the pilot episode you two did. weeks ago? And uh and I liked it. I the humor like the, the, the comedy part of it, and granted this is just the pilot episode, so it's just setting things up. I didn't love the humor part of it. I was laughing and stuff, but it, it didn't blow me away. Um yeah. but I could tell where they were setting up some interesting stuff like character wise and story wise, and and I, I do want to keep watching that, but uh I guess we'll segue smoothly into what i have been watching uh which is the season two of the americans which i watched I season one a while americans ago is. uh i thought I, I thought i talked about it in here and i might have i might not have i don't remember um but the americans is a show on fx and it's about a couple who are in the 80s living in america they're soviet spies and okay. And they, they're living as Americans. They've got American accents and all that stuff. And they've got children who don't know their spies, who are like young teenagers. And, uh, and they're trying to do spy stuff while maintaining a family. And it's... So I started watching it because of the spy stuff. I love Cold War era spy espionage, that kind of thing. That appeals to me in in a really 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 specific way, and it does it does deliver on that a lot. Like it has a lot of really cool stuff, but the there's I'd say its primary focus is drama. It's it's based on the it's it's focusing on the characters and kind of their struggles and and there's a lot of sex. Everyone's sleeping with each other and that kind of thing. Um, but it's still it's it's Intrigue, good. It's really romance. It's really, yeah, it is. It's it's but it does like it goes farther than you might expect from like, Oh, it's espionage and they're sleeping with people when it's romance. Like it, it takes that to a level beyond it's, it's cliche, you know, facade. Uh, but it, it's, I've actually really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to season three. Um, it's, it's just a fun watch. Like it's not, it's not, it's no breaking bad or Mad Men or anything, but it's, it's fun. It's a good show. And I, I would recommend it to, to people if they know what they're getting into. Like, okay. it, you know, if, if you know that it's not, it's not a trash television thing, but it's it's something in between, you know, 
garbage just watch it for fun and and really interesting you know writing and all that stuff it's just good um i also watched ex machina you heard of that one the movie oh yeah 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 ai thing yeah uh i i heard someone mention it at some point and i said oh that looked interesting and then i watched it uh it was it was good it was (sighs) i've got i've got a lot to say about it exhale yeah, uh, the exhale is mostly because of the ending, and I don't, I don't want to flat out. Spo- Maybe I will spoil it. I don't know. I don't want to. I, no, I don't want to spoil it because I do recommend people watch it. I think it's, it's a good, it's a good movie. Uh, it has, it ends in a really kind of jarring, unsatisfying way, in my opinion. Uh, there, I have seen people defend it, but the only defense for the ending that I've seen has really just come down to, well, it made sense. It was the most <laughs> logical ending to the thing. And I'm like, great, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, everything up to the ending is is very well done. It's very well directed. Uh, it's It has this... So the concept is this this employee for like a Google fictional Google basically uh, wins a prize that within the company to go out and visit the, the head of the company for a week at his secluded home in the mountains or wherever. And, uh, and you know, you have to like fly a helicopter to get there and everything. And he goes there and the guy is like kind of what you would expect a young, slightly hipster techie douchebag with like a beard and, and uh, <laughs> and he's obsessed with like working out. He like drinks at night, and then he and then he works out in the morning to 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 get over the hangover and that kind of thing. Uh, and he like right off bat, right off the bat, like it's really uncomfortable. Like there's something going on behind the scenes that that you can't figure out, and the main character is like trying to figure out that there's something going on. And then you learn that it's a research facility for the AI that he's been building, and and the the prize was really to be the test subject for the AI uh, and to, to talk to the AI and determine whether it's passable as a human intelligence or not. And uh, it goes some places. It's there's some, there's some like really typical what you would expect from this kind of story about an AI. And it doesn't really delve that deep into some of it. Um, but it does go some interesting places and, and, but mostly I like the atmosphere of it, like this kind of big empty house that he's like got restricted access to some areas and it's like, Oh, what's behind that door? That kind of thing. Uh, it's almost a horror almost, but not quite. Uh, I, I liked it. I do recommend it. Just be prepared for a, a kind of disappointing ending. Uh, but it, it, it worked. It was fine. Uh, I, I did like it. Uh, and in terms of, uh, video games, the only thing I've been playing is more Fallout 4, and I gotta say, I'm still enjoying Fallout. I'm actually enjoying Fallout so, 4 the more I play it. I'm enjoying you know it what? more. I heard the same thing from my brother. My brother wound up playing more of the city building, not city, but settlement building stuff, and he seems to be getting more hooked as he goes. Yeah, uh, I... So... I'm doing what people kind of recommend to do with Bethesda games that I've never done, which is avoid the main storyline. And now that I think back on it, Morrowind, which is like my favorite game ever, and Bethesda's one of Bethesda's first forays into the RPG genre, kind of. Uh, They they did Arena and and, uh, Daggerfall, but 
Morrowind's a different kind of game in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I came to the realization that I actually did that with Morrowind kind of unintentionally because Morrowind doesn't push you into the main quest the same way the other games do. Uh, Morrowind is the main quest is very hidden in Morrowind almost like you get a letter at the beginning and someone says oh take this letter to so and so in this city and that's kind of your first quest I guess Mm -hmm. but it's so easy to just forget about it uh, because the city's far away there's no easy way to get to it you have to get money if you want to take the silt strider to fast travel there you can't just click it on the map or anything like that Um, so it you know it it doesn't push you very hard even when you start doing the quest it's it doesn't just throw you right in the story and there's nothing going on in the world that says like, Oh, you have to finish the main quest. It's, it's just there. Uh, and so, you know, Skyrim had the dragons flying around and oblivion had the portals opening up. You couldn't avoid the main quest and you felt like you had to do it. And I, I think that's why I mainlined those quests. Uh, fallout three, I ended up doing it too. I don't remember much of fallout three, honestly. I just didn't really enjoy it very much, but I've, I've specifically avoided doing that with fallout four. I started doing the main quest and got to the main city hub of the game and then went off and did something else. And I haven't really gone back to it. Uh, I've done like maybe one additional mission in the main quest. So I'm just wandering around, finding things, doing random quests and stuff. And I'm having a a lot of fun. I'm it's, it's a lot more enjoyable than I thought. Like exploring the environment is is more satisfying than than I thought it would be. I I think it's better than Fallout Three because I don't remember Fallout Three being very interesting. Um, yeah. Because like I going into a building and finding the story behind what happened in that building, just something as simple as that, uh, it didn't feel very good in Fallout Three or or the recent uh, the Oblivion or 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 Skyrim. So maybe it's just because I'm approaching it with a different attitude, or maybe it's because they truly have improved. But I'm enjoying it a lot more, and it's and it's open worldness, uh, and and I'm actually like, I'm actually getting a little bit of that itch of like, oh, I'm at work and I want to go home and play some Fallout, uh, hmm. which I did not expect at all from that game. So so I'm I, I approve of it. It's still it's still a really badly made game. Don't get me wrong. All the complaints we had about it are still very valid, but it I am enjoying it at least. Um, and that's that's it for me. Um, well, I mean, what what I've heard about the building settlements thing again, I returned the game mm-hmm. for a couple hours, so I don't have personal experience with it really. But I do have my brother's account at the game; he's been playing pretty frequently. Um, he pointed out that, uh, well, actually, he didn't point it out. I read it somewhere else. But he confirmed that when you build things, everything is still destroyed, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, that when you can't you, when build you anything make clean. A new, yeah, when you make a new rug, that there's holes in it, yeah. and it's all... It's just fucking dumb. Like, the very <laughs> first... I Okay, I played Fallout before Fallout 3. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. And in the very first Fallout game, you go to the very first town, Sandy Shores or Shoals. It's been a while, so I shouldn't pretend to be an expert. But um, the very first town you go to, even though it's in an arid desert and it's pretty remote, the, they still have clean rugs. People take showers. Yeah. And it's it's just thought given to the world. In Fallout 2, Vault City, it's sort of built out of a vault and they, they make an actual city of it and they take pride in keeping things organized. And it's just, even in New Vegas, 
the NCR section of New Vegas, their little camp thing when they have the the barriers and the tents and mm-hmm. and things like that. It's it's clean. It makes sense. It's stuff that's manufactured after the apocalypse, and there's just no thought like that. I totally in, agree. In, in um, four. In four Bethesda, and three. Bethesda isn't capable of that kind of I agree. writing I, anymore. That's that's that was my I think that was my main criticism starting out and still is pretty much my main criticism, although I so I found that it's it's fun to explore the world, but not for the reasons that I wanted to explore the world starting out, I guess, which is which is what you're talking about. Like I want to look at something and say, like, oh, here's how this came about, you know? Oh, the war happened, and then they rebuilt, and look, you can see how they rebuilt. You're right. They... They have designers that apparently just don't even bother with that step of they like, just how did this come to be? It's the post-apocalypse. Yeah. It, it looks like style. shit. That's it's what it the is. style. They do That's things they in think. the style of Fallout. Yep. And so, you know, it's retro-futuristic, 50s style, and then make it dirty and broken. And because it's been the because there's been the, an apocalypse, and there's no there's no thought beyond that at all at, at any point. It seems to me, I still haven't found anything that has a story behind it. Really, like no, there, there's no. You can't figure out why something is the way it is, and uh, it's just it was an apocalypse, and that that drives me crazy. And I that's that's my biggest complaint against. All the recent uh, Bethesda games, because like Morrowind's, Morrowind's might have had the same problem if it didn't come out in an era where you don't have that amount of detail in the game. Uh, so Morrowind came out and and you have to fill in, you, even though it's you know it's fully 3D and there's some lighting effects and stuff. It came out in an era where there's there's not a lot of detail to anything, and you have to fill it in with your imagination and. So I feel like that's part of why my experience with Marwin was so good. I was younger. I, I, I could fill in those blanks with my imagination and, and created the details of the world in my head. And, and it, 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 it left a strong impression that the other games don't at all. Oblivion especially has zero personality in its world. Like oh, yeah. I, I hated it when it came out because it, it was they used Speed Tree to make the world first of all and then they just put castles in it that looked like they were out of england or something like that like they just looked like uh, it looked like earth that was my big complaint you know wolves and bears and deer and castles ran just just your 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 really rote bullshit fantasy stuff and and marwin had giant mushrooms and and wizards were creating plants that 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 towered into the sky and then they burrowed into the plants to create their dwellings and stuff and and there was so much uh, the one of the one of the races of people made uh homes out of the shells of the animals that 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 are in that area and it's like that's what i want out of a out of an open world out of something that i need to explore and and they didn't deliver at all with and skyrim it was largely the same way. I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, here's a world with some... It looks like it's kind of Viking-esque. Uh, I just don't... There's no way Bethesda can conceive of anything as interesting as that moment where you first enter the Boneyard in Fallout 1. That is incredible. And they, they have they tried, but they haven't been able to do anything like it since. That you go into downtown DC in Fallout 3, and I'm sure you do something similar in Fallout 4, but in Fallout 1, 
when you go into downtown Los Angeles, maybe it's just the time period. It takes place about 80 years after the bombs drop. Mm. But it feels like you are one of the first people who are coming late enough to explore it fully. Like there's not total radiation and unlivable, you know, but you feel like a pioneer going into one of these places. Right. And it's just so atmospheric. It feels totally empty. The boneyard of Los Angeles and the buildings are just metal skeletons of what they used to be. And it's honestly incredible. I just don't see anything like that in uh, Bethesda's Fallout. Yeah. Fallout 4 does a better job at that kind of like, oh, look at this apocalyptic city than Fallout 3 did. Fallout 3 was was completely lacking in any kind of interesting personality to the city. Fallout 4 has like, there's skyscrapers that look like they were built that are like newer ones. Like they were, they were towards the end of the, the fake future of fallout. Uh, and so they have like a different style and they're the ones that tended to, to stay up while all the other ones collapsed, that kind of thing. But I mean, that's, it's very surface level stuff. And it, it, it really, there's nothing amazing about entering the city for the first time in fallout four. You just kind of go, Oh yeah, there it is. And and that's that, and that's that pretty much applies for everything in Fallout Four. Like, there's nothing, there's no moments, there's no, oh, let's take in this scene. It's just, yeah, that's you get what you see. Uh, but, but and you know that is still one of the most amazing things about Fallout One and Two for me mm-hmm. is that unlike these three D games, there's no shot of the vista where you're meant to just take it in. When you enter the boneyard. It's just a screen, like any other screen in the game. But the atmosphere of it is just so perfect. You are alone on an empty street of ruined Los Angeles. And you feel, because it comes at a certain point in the game, where you feel like there could be anything lurking in the ruins. And it is honestly perfect. Seriously, if anyone listening right now hasn't played Fallout 1 and Fallout 2... I haven't play play those games. Those are some of my favorite games ever. They are fantastic. Like just story, world building, even gameplay. The gameplay still holds up. It's okay. not like a super dated game. Um, even though it used that old Infinity engine, it still works. Yeah, and it 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 rewards you building your character in a, a planned way. So if you load up on perception, you see a noticeable concrete impact on your combat and your aim and things like that. It's th- those two games are some of my favorites ever and probably will be for as long as I live. Alright, man. Fallout 4 is definitely not going to be one of my favorite games, I can tell you that much. I I don't I also don't like that it started out you played in the era before the bomb dropped. Yeah, that sucked ass. It's like it's like uh, you get this problem with a lot of franchises that go on too long, where if they if they have any kind of uh, mysterious uh, history in the world, they always ruin it by going back to it. And uh, Lost did it, Halo has done it, and now Fallout's done it. Where it's like, oh, here's the world. That, that that's been kind of like it's not been mysterious per se but but the the aesthetic of fallout 
is the idea that people don't remember what was there before the yeah. bombs dropped. And then you just put the player there and everyone's like, oh, this is so cool. It's like you're actually playing. And no, it's 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 lame. One of the, the thing about Fallout is that it started like the golden age range after the bombs dropped where it was too long in the past for anyone to actually remember but close enough for there to be you know media preserved from it yeah and so you got the weird artifacts of the happy looking vault boy and yeah all that stuff that all fit but it just <laughs> that was okay so i did play the beginning of fallout 4 and the immediate observation I had was, I really hate seeing this the bombs yeah. drop, because unlike the like exaggerated past that the other fallouts just let you imagine, it actually showed you everyone acting like a complete turd <laughs> that is inhuman in every way. Like the guy who comes to your door and is like, "Hello." there yeah vault tech here i'm gonna give you a place in the vault see and it just sucks it, that's a, that's another thing you just you just touched it upon breaks something. the world you touched on something that i have noticed about most bethesda games which is that like whenever you f- come across like a dead body or something like that and it has a note on it or you you hack into a computer and and there's a story in it there is at least one person being incredibly inhuman like just horrible like psychopathic everyone in that game apparently is a psychopath and they do horrible things and it's like that's the only way that they know how to uh explore the darkness of humanity is to just have these horrible people that that clearly have no emotion at all uh and so they do incredibly terrible things that you can't even imagine but <laughs> without any motivation other than like well why not like it's just it's it's so it's so yeah. surface level and and uninteresting let's get let's get real world here i read a book recently called a paradise built in hell and it's a pretty like journalistic account of lots of different um disasters in history specifically american history from like california earthquake in 1906 up to katrina yeah and um it it's really a great read it shows that in times of crisis people can act in ways you would never expect yeah um just our nature as communal people and helping each other and just getting innate satisfaction out of that like that seems to be true of most disasters in our history at least recently and what Fallout 1 and 2 had a res- and even New Vegas had a respect for is that part of human nature. That even though you had the players like Vault Tech who were manipulating things and experiments, that the people themselves would still form functional societies that make sense and governments. Yeah. And th- Bethesda has zero. I will say at Zero least, at least Fallout Four does explore the theme of settlement and stuff through through the gameplay of building those settlements, but yeah, it's right. it's there's not much of a story behind that first of all, and also like so like existing settlements, for example, Diamond City is the the city built in the baseball stadium, and you've got a mayor who seems like a buffoon and who may probably is just in it for self interest, 
and everyone living in the city is at most just putting up with each other. You know, like nobody's that sucks. Nobody's like nobody's like, oh, I, I'm so glad I'm here and I'm happy and we've we've formed this community and we're proud of it or anything like that. It's just everyone's just kind of putting up. You've got people who are friends with each other and stuff, but it's not you don't get any of the community stuff. And like I understand like. Like zombies and well, zombies falls under apocalypse. Apocalypse movies, apocalypse books, they all explore you know the idea that that a a, de- a disaster like that brings out the best and the worst in in humans. But Bethesda doesn't explore either one of those effectively. I don't think. I I, I just think that they 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 don't take advantage of a potentially really interesting setting and. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> like what you were just saying, Diamond City. Diamonds, first of all, all I can think of when I hear Diamond City is WarioWare. It's one of the fictional cities in that, <laughs> that. franchise. Diamond City is where Wario lives. Great. But anyway, same thing with Megaton and I guess with Diamond City, I'm assuming, because I haven't played the game. But there are these wacky locations. They have a quirk to them, and that's one of the first areas you go to in both these games. Well... Sandy Shoals or Sandy Shores, I can't actually remember the name of it, which is really bothering me because I love that game so much. But it's just a normal place. Yeah. It's just a it's a town in the desert, but the people in it are believable. And that's what's have, striking about it, yeah. is that you're in this foreign setting of this this horrifying apocalypse and people are being people. And that's Yes. That's, that's what, what makes it engaging. It feels, even though it's such a sparse community, it feels like they can help you. It feels that like they have a functional society, they know what's going on, and they can point me in the right direction. They're they're doing well on their own. It it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Those games are phenomenal. I believe Fallout it. One and Fallout Two. Well, they're um... they're they're head and shoulders above most of the rpgs you'll have ever played in in comparison i it wouldn't be a fallout 4 discussion if we didn't bring up the witcher 3 uh oh yeah (laughs) in the witcher 3 just to provide a contrast to fallout 4 in the witcher 3 uh one of the first major kind of not cities but areas like village settlement that kind of thing that you come across you meet the 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 baron of this of this it's kind of a fort and uh and he has this reputation as being this horrible guy who punishes his his enemies in these really terrible ways and and that everyone's afraid of and you meet him and he's just a human being and he's got flaws and the reason that people are afraid of him is because of those flaws and you know he has he lashes out in anger sometimes but he also has like you he, he's a human and he has things that he cares about and you help him you know you 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 help him try to become better in the story like it's the best probably the best storyline in the, in the Witcher 3 that I've played is his little quest line uh that's cool it really explores of a, a, a character with 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 flaws and and it's cool because they introduce him as this is spoilers I guess but it's it's early on in the game but they introduce him as this scary guy and you meet him and he's and he's seems kind of nice and uh but he has done some bad things but for maybe some complicated reasons and so yeah it's the yeah the bloody baron is what he's called and so you know uh that's the kind of thing that you would not get in a in a bethesda game at all no way 
Definitely. No way. What is what is your favorite character from a Bethesda game? You know, like can anyone answer that? <laughs> can anyone answer me what their favorite character from a Bethesda game is? <laughs> Come on, it's awful. Um, I will I will tell our viewers out there. I will tell our viewers out there that Fallout One has the best story of any Fallout game. Just play it. All right. Don't don't learn anything else about the game. Just just play it and play it however you want. It really is one of those games. Yeah. It can't Fallout One can't be missed. I'll have it to ha- check it out. I, it, I've, it, I've kind of always meant to and just figured. Not, eh, it, I don't know. It's if not I'll... terribly dated either. You kind of appreciate the change of pace almost. Yeah. Um, like Vats even Vats is like a weird abstraction from the original mechanics in Fallout where you would choose certain limbs and you take different action points. Like, imagine that system done perfectly, and that's Fallout 1. <laughs> it's not hard to imagine it being done better than Fallout 4, where, like, oh my god, it's awful. It's just, I won't even go into it. It's terrible uh, trying to use that system, especially if there's, like, an enemy close and the camera's, like, inside their head and you're trying to choose a body part while they're still moving because it doesn't pause the game. It just slows it down. Ah! All right. And I would... Okay, before we... And this might be the last Fallout thing we say. Okay. But... Fallout 1 might have my favorite villain in a video game. There you go. There's a character. Yep. <laughs> An actual character. My favorite character in Fallout 4 so far is a robot tour guide who who just who's, has no personality, and that's kind of why he's funny. Uh, so there you go. That's... that's <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> he says, Freedom Trail. And he says it like that every time he says it, no matter what the context is in the in the city. And so he's giving you a tour of the Freedom Trail, and every time he says it, he says it that way. And it makes me laugh every time. All right. Yeah. Rocket League, to go into news. Rocket League. Rocket I'm League. excited for this. Rocket League is supporting their game through cosmetic DLCs, which I... Great. I have no interest in that. I, I've never bought a skin in my fucking life. But it, you know what? It means the game gets money, and it doesn't affect Oh, it's you great. I love it. I might buy a cosmetic TLC in Rocket League because they have come out with a blatant Mad Max ripoff DLC. Uh, and and from the beginning of Rocket League, you can go back and look at my Twitter feed. I said someone needs to make a Mad Max mod for Rocket League because it's perfect for that. Like having the flames shoot out of the cars and everything. Like you just put the Mad Max cars in Rocket League. They've kind of done that. I mean, it has its own cartoonish kind of style to it that isn't really Mad Max. But the trailer that they <laughs> the trailer that they did is like they found a composer who can basically simulate the Mad Max feel, like that music, uh but it isn't quite Mad Max and then they have like the font and you need to watch the the trailer for the for the new DLC for for Rocket League. It's it's really entertaining, and I want it really bad. I want one of the cars really bad, uh, so I'll probably pay for it. I think it's like two dollars or something. Like it's they're very cheap DLCs. Um, so yeah, I'm probably gonna buy that against all of my principles. But uh, it looks good. So I I I love that developer. They've done a really good job uh, supporting the game. Um, let's talk about. Let's save the drama for later. Let's go ahead and jump to uh, to Battlefront being... <laughs> I have some annoyances with Battlefront. This isn't so much I, news. I've never played Battlefront. I didn't get into the... Or I did get, but whatever. I didn't play it. So this is so all you. Everyone, so first of all, all right, just to set the scene, we, we've we got Battlefront 1 and 2, which I was a fan of both. I, I played them a lot. And uh, 
they're very good games and i didn't expect very much from this battlefront because it's it's ea it's dice they're obviously going to go a very you know different direction with it from the original battlefronts and if anyone was expecting it to be like an original battlefront game they they were setting themselves up for disappointment it ended up being more interesting than i thought or or a, a better direction than i thought where like they've kind of made it arcadey it's not battlefield with a battlefront with a star wars skin it's it's its own thing and i'm happy they did that and it was fun playing the beta was fun i thought it was a well-made game i still think it's a well-made game they they nail the the sounds and the atmosphere of star wars and in some really really detailed ways uh that's very impressive but uh the game has finally come out and people have people have I've discovered some things about the game that are incredibly annoying. I I can't even really I still can't say it's a bad game, especially not for these reasons, but this pissed me off so much. So the first one is <laughs> this is so annoying to me. Are you like a Star Wars fan? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I watched the prequels when I was a kid before watching the regular movies. Yeah, well. And uh I played with the lightsabers, and that's my. Experience. But you're aware of it, and you're aware of the yeah. fan base. I'm I've sure. seen and, them all, and and, and, and the, the the running jokes of the Star Wars. I'm up on all the geek culture. That. I know um, that Han shot first. Well, there you I'm, go. Han I'm shot in on that first. inside fact. What if I told you that you could customize your character to have an emote? Wow. And one of the emotes is Han's shot first, wow. and he wow. acts like he's shooting a gun with his hand. Wow, wow, wow. So you're a stormtrooper on the wow. battlefront, and you and you go, ah! What if I also told you that the stormtrooper could act like he has a lightsaber and wave it around all crazy-like? Uh, or, wow! Or, or he, oh, can sorry, reenact, he can reenact... <laughs> He can reenact all of our wow. all of our favorite that time was early. Our, our most favorite funny moment from the original no from the prequel where Darth Vader steps out and goes no and he can do that and these are all references oh, like like sucking dick from both sides I see these are all references to Star Wars that we all know and love and and stormtroopers like stormtroopers are doing it on the battlefield stormtroopers Darth Vader lightsaber Jedi sword that's my favorite Star Wars sixty bucks. And you can com- you can uh, customize your stormtrooper and take off his helmet and be like a pretty blonde girl. I want to be a girl. I want to be a star girl. <laughs> and and so like this stuff wouldn't like if if the if the rest of the game was incredibly goofy and and crazy, I that wouldn't bother me very much. But the rest of the game is one hundred percent trying to replicate Star Wars. Like oh like, yeah. Everything about it is like we we studied the movies and and created you know a real universe and then you have a fucking stormtrooper acting like he has a lightsaber and it's just oh it drives me crazy and I that so that drove me crazy. Also, there's four maps, uh, in a sixty dollar game, and so that's a little misleading because there's different game modes that use different parts of the map, but there's four planets, there's four environments, right. And it seems very small. And there's not there's like seven different blasters or something like that, but they all are basically the same because in the end they're just shooting a laser. It's just especially if you're aware of of the creative way that they that they used the Star Wars franchise in the other Battlefront games, it's so disappointing to have this like really stale, empty game. And it's it seems like it's kind of fun, but not not at all worth its price or anything. Like uh, it's it's just really disappointing and and annoying. Like I just got so pissed off seeing the fucking emotes that ah uh, drove me crazy. Um, 
So has public opinion turned faith since the beta? I would say it turned twice. I would say the beta turned them turned twice. Why? Yeah, because if, originally everyone was saying it was going to be terrible uh, because EA dice, etc. And then the beta came out, and you know you still get most people saying like, "Well, it's it's terrible," and and just kind of generally being negative about video games because it's fun to be negative about video games. But I played it, and I thought it was fine. And yeah. uh, and I I saw a lot of other people saying like, "Wow, this is surprisingly fun. It's its own thing. It's not Battlefront per se, but it's it's interesting. It's not just Battlefield." And then it actually came out, and now everyone's against it again because it, it just. It just doesn't have anything there to support it. I mean, if you want the full game, you have to pay $110 and wait for the DLCs to come out. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. I, I still think it'll sell well, though. Uh, I, I know a friend who likes Star Wars a lot, and he bought it for his Xbox One. Um, <laughs> so moving on. We forgot, we forgot to mention something last week. What did we forget? Major news. Uh, Major. Video Great. games. Video games aren't just under attack. And video games aren't just attacking our children with their violence and whatnot. ISIS is using video games to communicate oh, and, and organize their attacks against the Western world through specifically Mario Maker levels and Call of Duty levels. Uh, Mario Maker by, by drawing out in coins their attack plans and Call of Duty by drawing their attack plans with a gun uh, in bullet holes on a wall. <laughs> Uh, this 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 was reported. Now, in fairness, it was reported only as a theoretical possibility in a major Forbes article. I think it was Forbes. Um, and the next day, my coworker said, "Did you hear that ISIS is using video games to communicate?" So that shows you how <laughs> that shows you how that kind of reporting is very responsible. Um, I just I just think this is the funniest thing ever. I think it's totally <laughs> absurd and. And yeah, the article's bullshit, but no, the article exists, definitely. Yes, the article was a thing that existed. Great. It, it, it was not made up. Uh, they, they later edited it, I think, to... I think originally, I think it said... It had, like, the games mixed up. Like, it said that you, like, draw out in Call of Duty on with coins. The It was just something stupid like that. But anyway, so everyone everyone run in, run in fear... Or actually, just play the games really well. Like headshot the people in Call of Duty who are trying to organize their their Guys, plans. Listen, you have to you have to frag headshot frag those noobs who are planning terrorist attacks in your video games. If you don't win, if you don't get that sick CS:GO skin, it means that the other team is going to plan 9/11-2 on your watch. Yep. How do you feel about that? Get, keep your kill death ratios up, people. Come on. All I'm saying, ju- I mean, just saying, just yep. saying, just saying, just saying, All right. just saying that you are the personal cause of terrorism. You, the listener, personally, you, the singular person, internalizing my words right now. You, pointing at the camera, are the cause of all terrorism. Are you ready for some gaming journalism drama that has nothing to do with a certain hashtag that we all know? Why the fuck not? Have you heard of Kotaku's story about being blacklisted that they ran? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think I disagree with you about this. So I don't know. I, I don't have a very strong opinion about anything going on here. I just think it's interesting. Uh, Kotaku ran a story essentially 
I mean, I don't want to use such a negative term as complaining, but <laughs> they ran a story about how they'd been blacklisted by Bethesda yeah. and Ubisoft based on a year or Leaks. two ago. They 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 had stories about leaked information, like here's where the next Assassin's Creed game is going to be, or here's what Fallout 4's setting is. Uh, and so they got blacklisted because that's what companies do when you leak their information. Uh, and and now they're mad about it because they think it's. I think they think it's it's too much it's they've been doing it for a long time and they're not communicating with them at all and kotaku feels it's undeserved and uh personally i think that that's kind of not at all how the world works but here's here's what i think so i'm disappointed to say the least in the uh general attitude i've seen about this stuff so most of the old school hashtag Gamergate supporters yeah. are coming out against Kotaku on this that oh you made your bed now sleep in it and you know you you leaked these companies information and blah 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 you deserve it I just don't see it that way at all I think that it's it makes sense for any kind of game journalism site to report whatever it is they find out. And I don't necessarily blame Bethesda for blacklisting, but I am I I get why they would leak that information. Sure. That that falls within their job. Yeah. If somebody if somebody sends you, hey, I have this exclusive information on Fallout Four, I shouldn't be sending you this, like your job at that point as a journalist is to report what you've learned. That's what you're supposed to do, and that's what they did. And through all this, especially with the um, the the main Gamergate subreddit being uh, Kotaku in action, it's easy enough to demonize Kotaku. But I feel like this time they really were doing what they should be doing, which is not kowtowing to the demands of the company and instead releasing what they learned. So I'm totally with them on this, and I, I'm, I have no problem with them complaining either. That they really don't have an option here besides complaining. Once they've been blacklisted, all they can do is either not report on it or say that they've been blacklisted. I don't have a problem with them saying they're blacklisted, but the article went further into the idea of blacklisting and that. Which, it, so here's my, like here's here's what I think about it. I think. It's fine that Kotaku reported on the leaks. Like you said, it, to some extent, it's their job. They're reporters. If they get credible information, they report it. But you can't eat your cake and have it too. You can't... If you're going to if you're gonna go the route of let's accept these leaks and, and report them, but at the same time get early games and stuff from the company that we are essentially uh, undercutting in order to do this reporting, then I, I, that's not how it works. If you, if you want those early copies of the game, if you want to be a game reviewer, instead of just a, if you want to be a game reporter, instead of just a game reviewer, then you're going to have to accept the sacrifices of your reporting, which is that you're going to get on those companies bad side because it's the companies aren't obligated to give you their games early. They're doing you that. That's true. An agreement. That's true. But that's the thing for me as an informed consumer who knows about embargoes and the way that these things generally work 
I do not totally trust people who are 100% on the good sides of these companies. That if somebody is consistently getting review copies and that, oh, wow, this game is a solid 9 out of 10. I'm yeah. loving this. That eventually you just can't, you don't take it as seriously as venues who have been blacklisted. Because you, you figure that if somebody's been blacklisted by the company, that they're not beholden to just yeah you know praising so, it yeah that's one of the things that started the whole gamer google mess is is the idea that in order to maintain relationships with these companies they might be giving them better reviews than the games actually deserve in order to stay on that company's good side and keep getting those games early and keep the coverage going uh but this is how every industry works and has worked for a while and i don't see it changing because again the companies can just stop sending you. What early do you mean? What do you mean? Game. Every industry, though. The movies do the same thing. No, even TV shows do the same. No, thing. no, 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 no. In movies and in TV, the criticism industry is so huge. Like the number of critics working and the pre-screenings okay. and everything, it's so huge that they just cannot prevent people from not liking it. That they'll screen movies and they'll suck and the critics will come out and say that it sucks and there's nothing they can do about it. At some point, at some point, viewership matters. And if people are going to continue to watch and read Kotaku content, even when they're getting later content out for stuff like Fallout 4, it means Bethesda has a serious problem on their hands. And this is why Paramount and Universal and the other movie companies don't have as much control as the gaming companies do that there's just so many critics that there is no way to suppress the negative opinions it's just not possible and i kind of like this i in fact i really like this i really like that there's a mainstream games journalism presence that is officially blacklisted and yet was not suppressed i mean okay I I don't so I think I respect the decision they made if they were saying all right we might get blacklisted but this is what this is what we're doing we're not on the company side we're on the consumer side now to be fair what they got blacklisted for was stuff that wasn't exactly pro consumer it was tabloid shit like here's where the next Fallout game's going to be and that kind of like that's not that's not like Standing up for the consumer. That's not yeah. Jim Sterling. They're no Jim Sterling, you know? <laughs> they're they're Thanks, not Jim. that level of. Uh, if we can give but, a shout out to Jim, thank you, Jim. But yeah, I mean, it's not like they support. were. It's not like they were digging up dirt on the company or anything. Like, they were just doing. They were just getting headlines. And I, I, I'm fine with that because that's how they make money. But again, they can't. They can't do that and maintain relationship with the company and then say, well, why aren't you talking to us anymore? I mean, I know we reported on okay. the thing you didn't want us to report on. But come on, like, what do you want? Like, I don't I get know that. what you want the company to do. I don't know. Like, I get, I get that that they can't expect Bethesda to continue to give them special treatment. But what would be optimal, I think, is if more publications did this. That it's not just Kotaku; it's IGN too. That there's, at this point, there is enough readership and, like, I guess I would call it political involvement 
in games journalism. That is abundantly clear yeah. since Gamer Google. And I agree with that. And, and there's been some specific cases yeah. where like there was one game, and I wish I could remember what company it was or what game it was. There was one game that came out six hours before its embargo was Is it lifted. Unity? It might have been a Ubisoft game. I don't remember. But it came out six hours after... The embargo came out six hours after the game uh, came out. Shadow and Mortar, so something like that. It might have been Shadow of Mordor. That might have been it. But I was thinking, like, why does anyone listen to that embargo? Yes. You've got people streaming the game. Break the embargo and tell the company, if you want to punish us for this bullshit, so be it. But and then tell yeah, your, and, then t- and if they do yeah. punish you, then tell your readership, sorry, we've been punished because when the game came out, we 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 sent out our review. That's that would be that's the way to approach that. And I didn't see a single company do that. I didn't see a single major publication do that. And it drove me insane because I was on. I, I'm that's what I was saying. I mean, that's what you were saying is like, come on. You, you, do you have an obligation? Like people are buying this game without reviews right now because you are giving in to the ridiculous demands of the company and and i so i think they should push the embargoes sometimes and push the restrictions that these companies place on them but i don't think i just don't think that you can do stuff like here's where fallout 4 is going to be set and then expect to get review copies and stuff that's not how it works i i get that you wouldn't expect to get review copies after that but the point is that if a company is so concerned about keeping every detail under wrap that if you tell the public anything that leaks, you're going to get blacklisted, it shows that you are not towing the game publisher line, that you are serving your readers, yourself really by extension, that if you continue to get readership, you obviously as a site, as a game journalism site, get more readers. But... It it demonstrates clearly we are on your side, not their side, which is <sighs> yes and no. I think I, I so you, by your side I mean what you want to know in a very base tabloidy sense, um, where the f- latest Fallout game is located. But I mean, you could stuff. argue at the same time you could argue that Kotaku is letting their readers down because they're choosing uh, easy click headlines that don't actually matter over getting a review copy of the game early and getting a review out no. that would inform you before the game comes well, out. Easy click, easy click headlines, whatever. It's stuff that they knew and published. And stuff that other people knew and didn't publish because they were they were uh honoring the NDAs and all that garbage that I really but there's plenty of things that a that a journalist knows that doesn't that they don't publish, you know, to either if it, if it's to keep identities anonymous or if it's to keep relationship with company or if it's because they think that it's no, something. Yeah, that... but that's the thing. Keeping keeping your sources anonymous is one thing. To maintain a relationship with a company is a totally different thing. And I'm glad to see people not prioritizing their relationship with the company. That... And I agree with you there, but I don't agree that. But I, so I'm. I think I think it would be it would be commendable of Kotaku to to basically give the middle bird to the company and say, well, we're 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 in it for our readers, not you. If the circumstances were different, because it's the the reason behind them doing that was just for it wasn't like they were digging up like, oh, here's here's 
the horrible thing that Konami's doing to their developers, you know, or anything like that. They're just, they're just, it's, it's garbage news. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't it. affect anything. And there's no point that to, to, it itself, it itself doesn't affect anything. But the fact that they reported on it when other people didn't, because all they cared about is staying in Bethesda's good graces, that says something to me. And you know what? There are a ton of gaming websites that you can go to if you really care about the three minutes of recycled gameplay footage that Bethesda is going to show you as their quote-unquote launch trailer. Yeah, definitely. It's all bullshit. Yeah, that... Like, really... If you were only following Kotaku for the whole launch cycle of Fallout 4, you would miss basically nothing. Um, You'd miss an early review. You'd have to wait probably more than a day for a review of the. You can always. Well, okay, you can always go to another site to get just a basic review or opinion. But I don't think there were many people who were on the fence about Fallout 4. I think there were people who were going to buy it. Well, that's a different issue, though. Completely separate is, from any review, and there were the people who were waiting for reviews. What I'm saying is they've sacrificed their review copy of the game in order to run these stories that didn't actually inform the consumer of anything substantial. And I would respect them for that choice if they didn't then run a thing that said... Well, it's unfair that they're that they're treating us this way because you, I mean, you know how it works, and you you broke that, and that would be fine. But don't sit there and complain about it after you break it. Like you knew the rules. And you know what? And I will say, I respect their opinion more than anyone who received a pre-release copy. Because I, I know I know they have nothing to gain from it. I know what you're saying right now. But I don't believe it because Kotaku has a history of not necessarily being well. And I, I get think that's that. also part of the reason they've been blacklisted, that I do think that there is some, a, a much smaller amount than people are giving credence to, but there is some credibility to the idea that they've been blacklisted because of the history of Kutaku being a not very uh, well-regarded I, that's publication. What, that's what you know? people would like to think, I think. And I don't think that's fair. I think I don't think Kutaku, it's fair either. They're under a new leadership. They've, yeah. They are different. They're different than they were three years ago, but their history is still there. Their name still yeah. means. And, still and I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that, you know, it's, yeah, and Gawker especially because the things that are coming out every week in in the news about what Gawker is doing, it, it, I feel like I'm always seeing something crazy about that company, and I think that that does factor in probably to the decisions made by by the, the whoever makes those decisions in those companies and I, I, that's obviously not the primary reason though and and people acting like oh uh kotaku you know gamergate wins because kotaku kotaku's been blacklisted it's it's yeah. that's absurd but i i just i i would respect a site that said we're not we're not gonna uh restrict our voice based on embargoes i would respect that just fine uh, but that site wouldn't be able to complain about not getting review copies. That's that's absurd, and uh, they would just have yeah. to live with the decision they made because, yeah, the the company is not obligated to give them anything. Uh, but you know what? I am totally okay with Kotaku making that complaint article because I think because they have a, a large readership. That's 
totally I think that they legit- were making a it's play. It's totally legitimate for them to make that play. That, hey, we have a readership in the millions. And if you're going to impose embargoes on us, well, you have our readership to yeah. contend with. I think, I think I am they were really glad to see that. I would love to see embargoes shit on by everybody. Yeah. Like, that would be so good. And they're making a first step, and I'm totally okay with that. And I think that they were making a political play, and obviously that's always guarded in wording that, that that's supposed to, to look like something it's not. And I that's fine that they were they were obviously trying to get unblacklisted or change the industry in some way based on... And maybe they will. But they can't be surprised by the reaction, the negative reaction they've gotten from the community. I, I don't think I, they are surprised. Probably not. You're probably right. They're, they're used to putting up with a bunch of shit from, from, from the gaming community. Um, anyway, let's move on um, to another bit of gaming journalism drama. Uh, this is actually two different things, and I, these aren't these aren't a big deal. But I thought they were kind of uh, it's gaming journalism. Uh, IGN, which everyone loves, IGN, and they're they're yeah, known they're, they're known best for their Greg Miller Dead Space Two review. Game over, Greg. Um, <laughs> they're game, in it for the cool kills and awesome Hall moments. Of Fame, game of Thrones, God of uh, War, Game of the IGN had a podcast where. I watched the clip and I, I I should have I should have written down exactly what they said, but they were talking about what consoles have that PCs don't, and this is a this is an argument that you see from people who aren't necessarily big gamers quite often, which is like, well, I like sitting on my couch, I like the TV, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This guy's argument was that the console has certain features that the PC doesn't, including like you can just record the last five minutes of footage. Wow. PCs can't do that. Wow. <laughs> That's literally what he... I think he literally said PCs can't do that. And I think he might have been referring to the, the part where you say Xbox record that or whatever. But, like, what the fuck? I just thought that was funny. There's nothing to say about that. It's IGN being IGN. Um, there is some beef, though. There's some beef going some on beef. right now. Tell us uh, about the beef. Rooster Teeth has a podcast called... The Point? Who it's who called cares? The Point. Whatever. And uh, they were they were talking about Fallout Four. So I'll tell you how I I'll just tell you how I came across this. I Jeff Gersman made a a statement a reply on his like his asks page on Tumblr or something like that, saying someone said a oh, Rooster Teeth had something bad to say about you you and your Fallout Four review in their podcast this week, and he yes. said in response Jeff Gersman is the guy who got kicked out of GameSpot for writing a Kanan Lynch 2 review that wasn't... He didn't rate it high enough. Um, and he got kicked out of GameSpot. He um, he, replied, he replies to this thing by saying, well, isn't Rooster Teeth the ones who made that series about Fallout 4 paid by Bethesda? Are they really the, the people you want to go to for opinions about Fallout 4 or gaming journalism? And, uh, and so what they said in this podcast, <laughs> they were talking about how uh, they they're annoyed because it seems like certain reviewers, and this is based on Fallout Four. They're all wearing their Pip Boys, by the way, in the clip. Of course. Um, and uh, they say, I'm, "I'm tired of these reviewers that like rate a game seven out of ten while everyone else is rating it nine out of ten. Like you're not special. You're not special for for saying the game seven instead of nine. Uh, you're just saying it's bad because, because just you know to be edgy or whatever." And uh, and they're talking about fucking Jeff Gersman, who rated Fallout 4 a 3 out of 5 on the consoles, or on the PS4 version, because the frame rate was really bad. While it was 4 out of 5 on PC on his review. 
But um, I just I they that blew up way bigger than I thought it would. But like people were talking about that a lot, and it's been this 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 big thing. And I think that the people who made the statements have kind of backed down and said like, well, well, we were kind of not referencing Jeff Grossman, we were referencing something else. But if you watch the clip, they were totally they were like saying like, oh, I'm sipping on my tea and crumpets while I'm writing this review because I'm so elitist about my gaming and st- oh god, it just pissed me off so much. But again, it's just video game drama. Why are we getting angry about video game drama, everyone? Where's Come on. Where's the love, man? Where's, Where's the, the love? love? Um, but yeah, basically, my point is you shouldn't be listening to any podcasts that aren't Push to Shout. Push to Shout podcast. Uh, Fuck Jeff Gerstman. We're the only he ones. protects the big, the special interest in Washington. He, he followed we the, are the foreign gods. embargo, and that's we too didn't, much. We, we didn't. didn't. All of our pre-release copies that we got, we didn't give a shit about. <laughs> we stole them right off the truck, yeah. and uh, and and we when we talk about Fallout Four, we shit all we over. We told it. you that Fallout Four sucked a week before it came out. We're the only ones that shit all over Fallout Four, while everyone else is giving it nine out of tens. There you go. Uh, but yeah, if you want if you want a good laugh, look, look up the just look up Rooster Teeth podcast Jeff Gerson, <laughs> and you'll see some really funny shit because I. That's good. And it went farther. Like someone's saying in chat, like they went on Reddit and started defending themselves and stuff. I love internet drama. I, I can't stop. I I can't stop. Someone <laughs> help me. Great. This has been episode fifty-five of the Push Shout Podcast. Yes, it has. I have to piss more than I've ever had to piss in my life. <laughs> you seemed uncomfortable at the end of there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you go press, do your do your thing. Press stop streaming right now. And unleash Noah's flood. All right. Thanks okay. for the thanks for that information. You're welcome, listeners. I want you to imagine this grand stream of fluids coming out of my dick. You Good won't night, see everybody. that in video games. You won't see that in any giant bomb embargo cast. That's this right. Is only the Push to Shop podcast. That's where right. All the piss comes directly into your ears. <laughs>